0: I'm fine, my name is Serge, and how can I help you? Um, yeah, I'm looking for Miss Jenny Summers. She's very busy today. Maybe you give me your name? My name's Axel Foley. And uh, what it's pertaining? I did not understand what you said. Pertaining, what it's meaning, regarding. Oh, what's it regarding? I'm an old acquaintance of hers. Donny, one moment. Donnie, run and tell me, Summers, that uh, Mr. Ahmed Fali is here to no, see. Axel Foley. Axel. Ahmed. Achwell. Axel. Foley is here to see her. These are all the quints. Donnie, this cover this up. It's I'm like sorry. the breast of a dog to scrub for the customer. It's not sexy, it's an animal. No, it's not sexy at all. I see, you look at this piece. Yeah, I was wondering how much something like this went for. $130,000. Get the fuck out of here. No, I cannot. It's serious because it's very important piece. Have you ever sold one of these? I it yesterday to a collector. Get the fuck out of here. I'm serious. I said it myself.
1: what's the problem in which we do watch movies from our youth to determine if they're problematic by today's standards. I'm Jimmy.
2: And I'm Jen. Today we'll be discussing Beverly Hills Cop, which was released in the US on December 5th, 1984, and in the UK and Ireland on January 25th, 1985. It was written by Daniel Petrie Jr. and was directed by Martin Brest. It stars Eddie Murphy, Judge Reinhold, John Aston, Ronnie Cox, Stephen Burkhoff, Jonathan Banks, and Lisa...
1: What's gonna happen is this Jen and I have what, three problems this movie has, maybe um struggled <laughs> <laughs> three each and one um positive uh and we will have a discussion about it. Um and the synopsis is Mikey, police officer Axel Foley's friend, is murdered soon after he arrives in Detroit. When Axel takes up the investigation against his boss's wishes, he soon finds himself embroiled in a criminal in the criminal world of Beverly Hills. Um. So I don't know why the synopsis started with Mikey, but yeah, they could have written a different one than that. But that's that's what's on the Google. Um. So. Yeah, what's what's your history with Beverly Hills Cop, Jared? Have you seen this before?
2: I had never seen it before. Um, In fact, I've actually wanted to watch it for a few years, and I was waiting for you to pick it. Um <laughs> It's one of those things where sometimes I'll be, you know, scrolling through the, like, checking the different streaming sites to to look for something yeah. to watch, and I'll see it, and I'll be like, no, let's wait. That that happens with a lot of movies where if I think that we're going to be doing it, I'm like, I, I can't watch this now because it's better if I watch it. With more of podcast. a fresh... Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. What's your history? Well, I, I saw it
1: when it first came out in VHS. Never saw it in the cinema because I would have been too young. Um, So VHS, uh, I would have been allowed to have watched it. Uh, I think I watched it in VHS. Not a not 100% sure. If I didn't, I definitely watched it when it was shown on TV. Mm-hmm. Um. The BBC bought the rights to it, and that was a, it was a pretty big deal at the time. Um, but, when this was shown, uh, the BBC would edit movies quite often and show them, like, before the watershed. So, when it was first shown, it was, it aired on Boxing Day, uh, 26th of December, 1988, at 8.20pm. Um, the BBC's got this amazing website called BBC Genome. And you go on it and they can show you when a, a movie was first shown there. Okay. So I looked up Beverly Hills Cop, uh, and it was first shown that date. And then the next three shows were before 9pm too. Um, I, I never wrote down when they were, but it was like 1990 and then again, like later on. Uh, but then the BBC changed its policy and what movies when, uh, when movies would be shown. So, like, 18 certificate movies or 15 certificate movies are very rarely shown before the watershed now. Um, So, it, if it was shown now, it would be on after 9pm and uncut. Uh, but the BBC no longer have the rights to the movies. I think it's Sky who show it now. Uh, no, it's 5, Channel 5. They show it. Because um, I think it's on this week. It seems to be when we... One of us pick a movie. It seems to be shown on TV... In the UK, in the same week. It's quite strange that that happens, but it's, it's, it's happened with a few of them. So, yeah. That's my history with it. I've watched it many a time. Uncut, uncut. And also, before I went, when I went to America, and, um, New York, uh, I can't remember when, 2003, I think. I watched it on TV. Edited to bits on TV
2: during the day, on, and american tv as well so there we go yeah this is one of the rare movies we've watched that dylan actually wanted to watch with me um because he loves it but we only had time to watch one movie and so we watched the menu instead but it's very rare we pick a movie he actually is interested in watching with me so yeah, Thought I'd yeah. Mention that.
1: so what what did you think of it about-
2: i liked it that's I a did. good movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's. I was yeah. getting annoyed because I was like forty minutes in, and I was like, "I've got nothing. I've got <laughs> absolutely nothing." So I barely came up with problems, and I honestly don't really care about them. So,
1: yeah. Well, I'll start reminding, and my, my first one's homophobia okay. because it was the eighties. Um, I don't think this movie is anywhere near as bad as other movies in the eighties, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just get that out there. There's, there's nothing really. Major in it that's homophobic, but two things stuck in my mind, and that is one, the way that Damon Waynes goes really hard on his gay stereotype character, mm-hmm. uh, who is credited as Banana Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was Damon Waynes's first movie role, by the way. Um, but second, way worse than that is, uh, there's two guys who are packing a crate in a warehouse. And, um, the older of the two says, this guy comes in, sits down, couple of stools away. He got one of them, one of them eyes that's going like this, and he does a weird thing with his hand at his eye. I don't know if he was trying to, to make, to put the make on me or what. So I thought I'd take you over there tonight, uh, let him have a little shot at you before I tore his head off. Mm hmm. So there's a little bit of homophobia in there.
2: It is, but it's also the bad guys. You know what I mean? Like, But are they the bad guys? Do they know they're the
1: bad guys? They're only just stacking... I mean, was, was Mikey the bad guy? They're only just stacking things into crates. That's true. I'm they're just not, saying. I'm just they're... saying.
2: Like These things are, you know, like it's bad, but it's, there's something about if it's the bad guys saying it. Yeah, but it, yeah, I know. they could just be guys just doing a job.
1: Um, I don't remember seeing them later on with the machine guns so um, but yeah, like I said there's barely anything in this but yeah Uh, but test audiences actually laughed at Mikey telling Axel that he loved him Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the movie so the studio wanted to cut it out but Martin Brest decided to keep it in but he just didn't linger on it he he cut it short, he didn't linger on uh, either guy's reaction to it Mm -hmm. But I think that's important to keep in. Yeah. Because it, it, to me, it shows that Mikey knows he's on borrowed time. Mm-hmm. Like, he's telling this guy he's known for years that he loves him because he knows that he could get murdered at any point, and he was right. <laughs>
2: um, so, what's your first problem? Um, I guess it goes along kind of with what you were saying. It's. And I honestly, I don't really care that much. I just had trouble finding problems. Um, mm-hmm. The. The little like kind of gay character he was playing when he went to the club. Um, yeah, but the problem is it didn't really feel that offensive. Like it didn't feel as no. offensive as you'd think it would. And it honestly, it was like, it didn't feel like he was making fun of gay people so much as playing on the homophobia of the guy he was talking mm-hmm. to. So yeah, absolutely. it's like barely a problem for me. Um, I just mm-hmm. could see how it might be offensive to someone, but. Honestly, it wasn't, like, an over-the-top stereotype. It wasn't super offensive or anything. I think Damon Wayans
1: is worse. I think Bronson Pinchot does, like, the fine line. I think he's, because Serge is, you know, obviously gay, but he's not sort of, he's not overly, he's more, it's more of a um, foreigner stereotype (laughs) with Serge. Uh, but, yeah, we're going to go through these quite quickly then because we can not think <laughs> of much. Um, but I'm going to go with for my second problem. And Lee, my friend Lee, if you're listening, yes, you're right. You knew I was going to say this. Um, I'm going to say noticeable stunt doubles because this has bothered me for literal decades. <laughs> uh, like 48 Hours, you can clearly see Eddie Murphy's stunt double. Um, because he looks more like a swole Richard Pryor a stunt double. Okay. He's a really big dude, um, and uh, I'm gonna admit this to people. When I was in college, my class made a TV show um, for our final year um, exam thing, uh, and we had interviews in it, and TV reviews and music videos that we made ourselves and shit like that, right? And my section was like a, a, it was like a movie show type thing. It wasn't a review show because I, I just pointed out movie mistakes. It's not really a mistake, but I pointed out like a, a, a mistake from Tango and Cash, the obvious stunt double in the scene where Axel throws the guy over the table, and you can see this guy who's like seven foot tall, um, and another one I can't remember, and I still have that in reach somewhere. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll um I'll put it online. I'll try and get it onto you know digital and put it online. But I don't think so. I don't think it's ever going to see it late <laughs> the light of day. But yeah, the noticeable stunt double
2: has bothered me for years. I never noticed those things.
1: Yeah, I know you don't, but it's just it's, it annoys me mm. um, because the guy is much bigger than Eddie Murphy. He looks more like Hightower from the. Movies. I think I actually say that in my college video as yeah. well. I think I actually like them to Hightower and that. Oh god, that's so embarrassing. It's never going to see the light of day.
2: Um, so what's your second problem? Well, first of all, I want to say, I just remembered, Um. I forgot to put a sign on my door. Dylan bought me for Christmas, he bought me a Do Not Disturb thing to hang mm. on my doorknob when I'm recording. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time we've recorded since then, and I'd forgotten about it at this point. Oh yeah, we were supposed to be
1: doing um, what was it? Poseidon, Poseidon Adventure. Adventure. We were going to do the Poseidon Adventure for a New Year's episode, and we were both kind of like, "Nah, I can't be fucked with that." <laughs> Just <laughs> it's the Christmas holidays; we can't be bothered uh, recording. So we'll do it later. We'll do something else later on, and this is it. So
2: <laughs> yeah, I was I was really excited when you were like, "We shouldn't record," because I was like, "Oh, I'm not in the mood." Yeah, same here. I was not in the middle at all. <laughs> I'm glad that lined up. Yeah.
1: Excellent. So what's your uh, my, next problem?
2: My next problem, once again, I don't really care. <laughs> the when they're in a strip club, it's mostly just the annoyance that 80s movies always seem to have some sort of female nudity. Yeah. I was um out with a friend last night and I told him, you know, that I was going to watch this today and we started talking about 80s movies and he brought that up too that like It's just such an annoying trope. But once again, it totally makes sense for them to be in a strip club. And Mm -hmm. if you're going to be filming a scene in a strip club, they should be naked. Like it's always when I watch shows uh, that are on network television and they're in a strip Mm -hmm. club, it's always kind of lame that like the women are wearing like underwear or bathing suits or whatever. And like (laughs) they're not actually naked (laughs) because they can't show the nudity. So it's one of those things where like. I don't necessarily have a problem with it, except for the fact that it just feels like 80s movies are expected to have boobs.
1: Yeah. It's always the way, isn't it? Uh, they have to. Um, I've sent you a message, a picture on Messenger, of Eddie Murphy's stunt double in that scene. That's annoying oh my god. Decades.
2: Yeah, I... <laughs> I noticed these things. Um, Look how big he is!
1: Yeah. It's clearly not Eddie Murphy! But yeah, boobs. Um, (laughs) Yeah, boobs. They always have to have them, Mm -hmm. 80s movies. They always got to be there. Why is my... I have a podcast starting up on my phone. That's... bad. (laughs) That's very professional, Jimmy. Okay, it's (laughs) off. Yeah, no. Every 80s movie has to have them. Um, And again, like... Young me wasn't complaining. (laughs) Although, when I watched it on TV... I don't, I think I may have watched the TV version first. I'm not 100% sure. Mm-hmm. I might have, I don't know. So I never saw them until I watched the movie on VHS or maybe even DVD. So my final problem is, um, that the climax isn't very climactic. Martin Brest never directed an action scene before. He admits this in the, the, um, commentary. It's basically just bad guys with stormtrooper aim. Mm-hmm. Um, shooting the ground while the cop stunt doubles jump about over walls and stuff. It's just there's nothing really there. It's not really anything exciting. But I do like the fact that Bogomil, um Ronnie Cox's character, gets to shoot the bad guy as well. It's not just Axel Foley does it, it's also him. So then that way he can say, Yeah, I shot the bad guy. It wasn't just him. And then that's, yeah.
2: I like that part,
1: but I just don't think the uh, climax is all that exciting.
2: Yeah, I'll agree with that. Yeah. They
1: just the ground just like gets shot. The guys are very bad at shooting <laughs> cops and then <laughs> that's it. That's all that happens. So what's your first problem?
2: Um so <laughs> uh Foley's big uh like one of his big victories is that he teaches the cops to lie and break rules. <laughs>
1: Yeah, got to show those stuffy Beverly Hills cops that the how to how to do it the Detroit way, you know?
2: Yeah, the working class way. That's not that's <laughs> not, so way. not so good. Not so good. That like that's that's such a big victory. That like like we're supposed to be like pleased that he taught them how to lie.
1: Yeah, I know. Uh, I think that's um. I think that's worse now. Mm. <laughs> I think maybe like in the 80s that was sort of seen as a, a victory, but now it's kind of like, uh, you yeah. to not teach cops that.
2: That part has not aged well at all. No. And once again, the only thing that makes it like not worse is the fact that it's a black man teaching that like it would be so much worse if the races were reversed. Yeah. And it was a white cop teaching the black cops how to lie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, that part. Genuinely did bother me. I don't have much to say because I agree with you. <laughs> I can't argue with you. Yeah. It's, it's a good positive to...
1: A negative to have, I mean, sorry. So, my positive is... I've got two positives, actually. I didn't know which one to go with, so I'll say that the fact that Axel and Jenny are just friends. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no forced romance between the two of them, and they've known each other since they were kids. Mm -hmm. I just like that, you know? It's not like they they have to kiss at the end.
2: Apparently there was a version of the script where she was his love interest, and I'm glad they took that out, because once again, we do not need romance in every single movie.
1: Yeah. Well, you know that Sylvester Stallone was originally supposed to be the lead for this. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And he changed the script and added action to it. But he also made Jenny the love interest in his version of the script. Because he, you know, he has to have a love interest.
2: Can I read you some trivia I read about him? Mm-hmm. Uh, according to Stephen Burkoff in a UK newspaper interview, Sylvester Stallone quit the film because of disagreements about the orange juice for his trailer. Yeah. Now, for all we know, that's not true. Whatever. I don't know. But... Um, I just thought it was interesting to read today because last night I watched The Menu and uh, John Leguizamo said that he based his character in The Menu on Steven Seagal because Steven Seagal was one of the like biggest assholes he'd ever met. And uh, mm-hmm. so just like kind of reading about Steven Seagal last night and then seeing that, it's like, that checks out. <laughs> I, it sounds yeah. believable.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um- The official line is that that the stuff that he wrote in the script was too expensive Mm -hmm. to shoot, which I also think it could be true. He's actually quite a good writer, Sly Sloan. Where was I? Yeah, um, and Sly, he left the project two weeks before filming. Two weeks before filming, he left. Mm -hmm. And then he took some of the elements of the script that he changed and then put them into Cobra. Which was released in nineteen eighty six. I almost picked Cobra to do instead of Beverly Hills Cop, and I might still pick Cobra for later on because there's stuff to say about that movie. My positive visit their friends, okay. which you're positive.
2: Um, that was one I considered because <laughs> um, you know mm-hmm. I you know I like it when there's not romance in movies. Mm-hmm. I guess I'll just say the acting. Um, like Eddie Murphy is just really good. Like it's easy to see why he became such. A movie star after this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, sometimes I forget how talented he is because I, th- I grew up with more of the like, like the nutty professor, like the kind of movies where he's playing yeah. a bunch of characters and it's very silly and, um, mm-hmm. kind of ridiculous. And it's just, he was just really good. And I also really enjoyed Judge Reinholdt. I almost picked a movie with him for next week. And then I'm like, that's a lot of Judge Reinholdt movies in a row because we watched the Santa Claus. Um, <laughs> oh, I didn't think about that. But, yeah, uh, yeah. I and I and knowing that, like, so much of their stuff was improvised, mm-hmm. gives them even more points to me for acting because they're doing, they're making it up as they go. You know, um, mm-hmm. I just thought it was really, and I'm just like, why don't I watch more Eddie Murphy movies? Um, I mean, I did see Forty Eight Hours, which I hated, but
1: yeah. And we've also watched uh, Trading Places. Yeah, this this is his third movie. And uh, we've watched all his first three movies in succession. We've watched them from when they were first released. So forty Hours, then Train Places, and then this. Mm. Um, so when he made this movie, he was 23 years old.
2: God. <laughs> People age differently. I wouldn't have thought he was that young. I didn't even look it up while I was watching, and I usually do that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because I, t- I mean, every time I tell you how old he is when we do a movie, he has you're surprised, and I don't blame you. Mm-hmm. Um, he's twenty one when he made Forty Hours. He was twenty two when he made Trading Places, and he was twenty three when he made that. That's crazy. It's crazy, and considering he's obviously supposed to be much older because his other friends—one was in prison for a while, and one's a, a an art um, museum owner, a gallery owner—you mm-hmm. um, know, so. Yeah, I think he's supposed to be at least fairy. And I think we said that about Trading Places as well, that his character and that was supposed to be a bit fairish ish So, yeah, my other positive would have been that race isn't really an issue in this movie. Yeah. It's it's classism mm-hmm. rather than racism. Um, and that's what Martin Brest, he, he felt that it was important to not include anything to do with Axel Foley's race. There's a couple of moments where it's sort of, where it's said, mm. um, but that was just Eddie Murphy just riffing, and Martin Press for it was funny as fuck, so he just kept him in. Well,
2: and it's him using it to his advantage. Like it's not somebody necessarily yeah, yeah, exactly. being racist towards him. It's him accusing them of it to get what he wants, and them caving because they don't want to be seen as racist. Like yeah, that that is something I noticed. Um, yeah, and I think it would be different today, and I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, you know, if they did do mm. that, but it it is nice, especially with the 80s, where they, if they had brought Race into it a whole lot, they could have messed it up really bad, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think
1: Race is mentioned in any of the Beverly Hills Cop movies. I can't remember if it's in the second one. Four. There's four Beverly Hills Cop movies. The fourth one's on its way this year on Netflix. Really? Uh, Starring Eddie Murphy. Um, And there was a pilot, a TV pilot Mm -hmm. that never aired um, that didn't get anywhere because of reasons we'll get in a minute I was just about to bring that up Yeah, well, you can Um, All four of the movies have different directors Mm -hmm. Um, There's Martin Brest and there's Tony Scott there's John Landis and the new one is directed by Mark Malloy who's, I think he's an Australian director Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah Now you can talk about the TV
2: Oh, no, I was just, I don't know. I mean, I'm interested to hear why it didn't make it to air because I remember at the time being shocked because it was, you know, it's a popular movie and they had Eddie Murphy there. And I just, I thought that one was going to be a shoe-in that year. What happened? Well,
1: Eddie Murphy didn't want to commit to a TV series. He wanted to just do the pilot because the the show was about Axel Foley's son. Mm Mm-hmm. And he wanted to just do the pilot just to, like, pass the torch sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But the network wanted to wanted him to be a recurring character and appear, like, once an episode or something. And he was like, no, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. I do not want to do that. So no Eddie Murphy, no show. So the network cancelled it.
2: Uh, do you know who played his son? Brandon T.
1: Jackson. He's in the Percy Jackson movies and Big Mama's, like, father or, like, son.
2: Okay, yeah, he was in Tropic Thunder. He was yeah, Al Pacino. Well, yeah. That's... Okay, I knew I knew. I recognized the name. Mm-hmm. God, and he was on a show called... Uh, Craig Robinson had a show called Mr. Robinson, and he was on that mm-hmm. as well. And that was a sitcom I really liked. The guy cancelled. But yeah, I would love to have seen
1: a Beverly Hills Cop TV show. Mm. As a fan of the, the first two movies, at least, I would love to have seen that. And, uh, and the fact that Eddie was going to be in the pilot... I wanted to do it for pilot inspectors. Mm-hmm. No, one's pilot inspector. That's yours. I wanted to do it for. <laughs> I, didn't even. I wanted to do it for drop the pilot, um, but I could never find it. It's mm-hmm. never been. It's never been released. That's it. So
2: it really bums me out that people spend so much time and energy working on these pilots and money and money, and that they don't even bother like putting them on the internet, like. I I get it back in the day, you know, before the internet, but now it's like, why not? Why not just let us see it?
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of, um, back in the seventies and eighties, you would find a lot of the, uh, TV movies that were supposed to be like pilots. Mm. You would find them on VHS. They would get released on VHS and they would air as TV movies. Um, and sometimes you would even get cinema releases. Um, the one I remember is Baffled, which starred um, Leonard Nimoy, which I did then um, drop the pilot with Tisto, and um, and that was released in cinemas in the UK before it aired as a pilot on American television because it was uh, a co-production with uh, a British company. Yeah, you could find a lot of them. A lot of the, the they're just like TV movies, but they were supposed to be pilots, and you can find them on VHS. Not. Anymore. I mean, they they don't release them like that anymore, which is a shame,
2: but. There was something like that with Twin Peaks that, like, it was released as a movie and has a completely different ending, Mm -hmm. the pilot does. Um, Mm -hmm. And back in the day, um, when it was released on VHS, uh, which -hmm. was always kind of rare for an entire show to be released on VHS, but when it was released on VHS, I guess the company didn't actually have the rights to the pilot because of that movie. So what you Mm -hmm. had to do is you had to buy. The movie, and then like know exactly when to stop the movie <laughs> to to have the ending of the actual pilot, so you can watch the show. And I've yeah. s- I've seen the movie, and I don't remember how it ends, but I remember it, oh god, and I because I borrowed it from my um, brother in law. Uh, he wasn't my brother in law mm. at the time, but I I borrowed it from him. And I had his VHS tapes, um, but the quality was so bad that it was almost like a radio show sometimes. Like I couldn't see yeah. any picture and I was just listening to it, which I'm convinced is one of the reasons I like season two better than I should have because I wasn't mm-hmm. seeing how awful it was um (laughs) but like that was always really weird to me that they had made it into a movie and then made it into a show um that's the same with Mulholland Drive I was just about to say that I just remember that right when you started to say that
1: yeah Mulholland Drive was a tv pilot and then it got retooled and Mm reshot with the same it was actually the same cast um into into a movie um yeah but you and I have actually covered, on Drop the Pilot, we covered a couple of TV movies that were pilots. Um, we did the
2: Archie one. Oh, right. Oh, God, that was awful.
1: Yeah. that We did, I can't remember what it was called, uh, Riverdale. Return to Riverdale, or something. something like yeah, that. Something yeah, something like that. Um, that, was, that aired on British TV. It was like a, a Sunday afternoon staple every now mm-hmm. and then. It would just appear as a TV movie. Um, And uh, the Home Alone one that we did, Home Alone 4, Mm -hmm. that was a pilot and then they retooled some of it to make it just a TV movie. Anyway, I have notes and I'll go through them quickly. Martin Brest, the director, hates the freeze frame at the end of this movie. He hates it, but he was told they had to keep it in. This was the highest gross movie in the US in 1984. Despite being released in December.
2: Wow. That's impressive. I hadn't... I'd read stuff like that, but I didn't consider the fact that it was released in December and that that makes it even more well, impressive. It was a massive hit. It was a huge hit, this movie.
1: So let's talk about the soundtrack, Jen. Okay. Are you aware of the soundtrack to this movie?
2: Yes, I'm aware of its existence.
1: Yes. Have you listened to it or... you know listened to no. any of the songs? No. It's a great soundtrack.
2: Um...
1: The soundtrack was actually number one in the Billboard 200 in the US, uh, and it was number 24 in the UK album charts. Almost all of the songs in the album were released as singles. Uh, Axel F, obviously, we all know Axel F by mm-hmm. Harold Fockmire, that's the theme. Uh, that got to number two in the UK charts and number three in the Billboard 100 in the US. The Heat is On by G- Glenn Frey was number 12 in the UK in the U.S. "Neutron Dance" by the Pointer Sisters, thirty-one in the U.K., six in the U.S. "New Attitude" by Patty LaBelle was never released in the U.K., but got to number seventeen in the U.S. and "Start It Up" by Patty LaBelle, Patty LaBelle, got to number forty-one in the U.S.
2: There was this thing in like the late eighties, early nineties called a pocket rocker, and it was mm-hmm. um, this like little rectangular thing, like maybe a little smaller than a Walkman, and it had mm-hmm. these little tapes that. I later realized were basically eight tracks. They were just teeny tiny and um, where like there was a song on either side of it. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted one and my mom wouldn't get it for me. Like, I think maybe it was a little expensive or something, but then later we found one on sale and got it. But the thing is at yeah. that point, I think it was on sale because they weren't making them anymore. And it was like, <laughs> it, it, basically whenever I went to Toys R Us to get some tapes for it, I had to just like mm-hmm. get whatever they had because there wasn't much left and it was all on clearance. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure I had one that had the heat is on, on it. Mm. Um And then the- yeah. Uh, what's the name of the song? The Axel Foley F or the Axel Axel F? Axel F. I'm pretty sure I had one that, and probably somewhere in storage yeah. had it with with those songs on it. And I only bought it because it was all that was available to me. Do you
1: have any other trivia? Or no, is that you?
2: No, I didn't even get to read. I didn't have time to read all the trivia. I was kind of uh, cutting it close with uh, watching this movie today. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I only read some. I'm sure there's some bullshit trivia in there that would have been. Fun to mock, but um, yeah, because the older and more popular a movie is, the more likely it is that there's just something ridiculous in there. But all I had was that Mm. uh, Sylvester Stallone orange juice thing, which may or may not be true. You know, I was thinking about I've only seen like two Sylvester Stallone movies. Um, I've seen very little with him in it, and then I remembered I'm like such a bad Tulsa because I still haven't watched Tulsa King. Yeah, I still well, I still haven't watched Paramount Plus. I still haven't watched Reservation Dogs either. Um, mm-hmm. and that's a big Tulsa show. Not as much as Tulsa King, which has Tulsa in the title, but apparently he's very good in that.
1: Yeah, no, I'll I'll defend Stallone. Stallone. I'm going to pick a Stallone movie. I will I'll pick one so we can talk about him.
2: Oh, you know what? Now that I think about it, maybe John Lake was almost that. It was I think it was Steven Seagal that he was doing in the menu. They're both action stars. I haven't seen very much that. No, that's what you said though. It, you did said I say St- that? Okay, I thought I said Sylvester Stallone. Okay. Well, no, but
1: we're talking a Stallone about Stallone and doing something else. It's two else, action Seagal stars the... whose
2: movies I haven't really seen that start with SS. Like I, yeah, no. John
1: Leguizamo um, worked with Sam Seagal on Executive Decision with uh, Kurt Russell. Okay. Um, in the nineties, so it would have been that. Yeah, he he, he spoke about him before that he was an asshole.
2: Yeah, they're both <laughs> both of those guys. I guess are the same to me because I I can't. Keep them straight. Well, Stalo- Stallone is
1: is far superior, but we'll get we'll we'll find a Stallone movie to cover at some point. My friend Leo love that as well because he's a Stallone fan. Uh, I might even pick a Steam Seagal movie at some point too. Because I used to watch them, but we'll see.
2: Yeah, I haven't seen those, and I haven't seen... The only Jean-Claude Van Damme movie I've ever seen was JCVD, so I've seen, like... Oh, really? I'm picking a Van Damme movie as well, then. So I've seen the weird one. I feel like there's another big action star that... Like, basically, if you look at the, um, the Expendables... It's like supposed mm. to be this big deal that it's all these huge action stars together. And I'm like, I have not seen their movies. They are nothing to me. <laughs> even even Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'd seen very few movies with him in it mm. until the past like 10 years. And most of that is movies you made me watch.
1: Yeah, we watched seven of them for this <laughs> or whatever. <the> <laughs> um, right. So next next week is, um, is Jen's birthday pic because Jen's going to be a. Um, 152 years that's old That's rude So it's <laughs> So rude um, I didn't want to say your actual age 41, um, I don't
2: care I, I couldn't remember it um, so-, <laughs> so what is uh, what is your birthday pick? Okay, so you know We watch movies like this Where like we have trouble finding problems mm-hmm. And that's not good For what this podcast is Yeah. So you'll be happy to know That we'll be watching The Toy Alright, okay and, and I prior. I doubt there will be any problems finding problems with that movie.
1: Right. I don't think I've seen the toy.
2: Really? You've never seen it? I haven't yeah, seen it since I, I was a kid. I don't think I have. I have it on DVD, and we yeah. never bothered to watch the DVD. No. Once again, me wasting my... It is ridiculous how much money I've wasted on DVDs that I never bothered to watch, because I'm just going to watch it on yeah. HBO Max. I'm not even going to watch... DVDs mm-hmm. probably up in the attic in storage. So... <laughs> <laughs> um it was a it was a pointless purchase although i'm pretty sure i paid less than five dollars for it but yeah because yeah, i i thought about it's one of those things like the first thing that comes to mind i mean last year we did et which is the first movie that comes to mind when i think of my birth year and then the second one is fast times but fast times once again i would also have problems coming up with problems for that movie uh, I love it so much. So I just Googled movies from 82, and as soon as I saw The Toy, I was like, fuck yeah. Absolutely. But you know the premise, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I hadn't seen Brewster's Millions
1: until like a few years ago either. I, I, I'd seen bits of it, so there was a few of those kind of movies that I just hadn't really watched. Mm-hmm. But yeah, okay, The Toy from 1982. We'll cover that next week.
2: It was almost Annie. Right. It was almost <laughs> it Annie. It was almost Annie. I haven't watched Annie since I was a kid. And oh my god, I... The no wonder I don't have any money I also bought Annie and never watched it Jesus Christ I've, I've never seen Annie
1: either oh my god <laughs> I've read the, the Marvel comic book adaptation of Annie <laughs> but I've never actually seen the movie so I know what happens in it but you know without the songs <laughs> so <laughs> right so that's all we have time for Um, if you'd like to follow the podcast uh, at Drop the Pilot Pod on Twitter. <laughs> um, I just can't say that with any enthusiasm these days. Yeah. Uh, at ShiftyB, I'm also on Mastodon. I was going to do an update on the YouTube channel and I forgot, but the, the previous um, movies are getting up out of the thousands. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Home Alone 2 has like 2,000 views or something. It's fucking crazy. I don't know what's going on. But I'm thinking about making, like, videos, like, just shorts mm-hmm. to put on the channel. Yeah, maybe, like, to announce what's next, or to announce the stuff like that. I don't know. What I'll see. Anyway. Um, uh, ShiftyBedge.co.uk shift is the website. Contact the ShiftyBedge.co.uk is the email address. Where can people
2: follow you online? Jen? I'm at uh, Pile Inspectors on uh, Elon Musk's dumpster fire mm-hmm. uh, that is Twitter, and uh, that's about it.
1: Did you hear that they're they're gonna change how many um words, eh, letters you can have in a tweet now? That they're, they're, they're bolstering it up to four thousand.
2: What? Uh, <laughs> What's the point in the website? <laughs> I,
1: I I read four thousand. It may be wrong, but in February they're changing oh it. They're God. putting it
2: up. It's ridiculous.
1: Um, thank you all for listening. We'll speak to you all next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.